What's up, hysterical people? I am so thrilled and honored to welcome to the Hysterical Society Feminist Podcast. Today's episode is with Reverend Denine Robinson of Dallas, Texas. So uh, again, welcome and thank you so much for joining us, uh, Reverend Janine. I am currently serving as a state policy director, um, one of two for the um, RH Impact, formerly known as National Birth Equity Collaborative. Also a pastor at a local congregation in uh, Dallas, Texas, Church in the Cliff. I am a partner. I have three children and I love crafting. Uh, Reverend Deneen Robinson was one of the wonderful um, guests that was part of my documentary last summer for uh, We're Not Going Back. And I had the opportunity, the pleasure to actually meet you several times because the first time you had COVID, so we had to Zoom for the actual interview. But then I was fortunate enough to be able to come back to Texas later. And I think I went to your service. And then I also um, briefly hooked, you know, saw you at the women's convention in um, Houston. So it was really great. So you're one of my heroes. And oh, wow, thank you. No, absolutely. Being in Texas and, you know, I was focused on Texas last summer because you guys had already been suffering for nine months or more at that point. And of course, it's probably even gotten worse. And I know you've been fighting the fight for a long time now and uh, just kind of wanting to get now that it's been a year since a little more than a year now that Dobbs has been the law of the land and more, of course, almost two years that you know, the SB8 legislation went into effect, right? So, yeah, what's been going on in Texas? And so there's um, good things, not so good things, things that are just terrible and shouldn't exist all happening at the same time. What, what has been interesting to me, because my work is looking at the impact of religion on the things that are happening in uh, policy and so I'm always looking for that if it's there or hopefully I don't find it. Um, but even with the good things, not so good things and bad things, religion is the thing that has driven the decisions just all the way through. Yeah. And even as a clergy person, that is sad to me because that means that if people become more rigorous in their construct, we're going to get more rigorous challenges that we're having to move through in our daily lives. And at some point, it becomes less about the con the construct or Christianity in this case, but really more about the fear behind that's driving the religious uh, zealous behavior. I just don't need to know what my neighbor is doing in their bedroom. I just don't. There is nothing about my daily living that has ever been impacted by what my neighbor does in their bedroom. It's not helpful to me. 
I don't want to know. Like, and don't tell me. <laughs> I mean, and 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 once I found out it could be such a distraction, why we center things in that lens and use our religious ideals to justify our hyper focus there in this in this state particularly uh i i don't i don't know but i do know that it is definitely harming the reproductive lives of folks beyond what the issue of the day is which is abortion um uh, people are dying trying to become pregnant. People are dying while they're pregnant. People are dying after they successfully have their child. And then the children are dying. Mm. And we have so much trauma-based uh, disorders coming up in the earth that we're having to figure out how to respond to. So it's not helping us. It's not, it's not helping us. And in the last year, that's the thing that I've seen more of, people using religion to justify how they move in the earth mm -hmm. and how they need to center themselves and not think about how what they're doing is harming other people. The other thing, uh, when it comes to SB8 specifically, we know that the number of abortions legal abortions that were happening in the state decreased and even more so decreased when uh, the Dobbs decision came down. However, what has been good is community actively working together to figure out how to support people, no matter their reproductive choice. People started seeing that I, I don't actually need to turn on my sister or my mother or my kid. Maybe I'll just acknowledge that my thinking about it was not okay and and then lean into how I can support them. Do you think if Texas had a vote like all these other states, Ohio just you know tangentially voted to protect abortion rights by not voting uh, to change the threshold for the constitutional amendment. So that is the institution because there are a number of counties in Ohio that right. have those abortion bans. Oh, within the county? Yes. Huh. I guess that's not as bad because you can go to another county more easily than you can another state, but still. But I think what's also interesting about that is that proves what people say, which is if you let the people say there are more people for folk having access than against. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's been clear. Abortion wins elections in a way, you know, it, you know, it's not a linear thing, but it's we haven't lost. If abortion rights are on the ballot somehow, it's been a winner. So that gives me hope. Um but yeah, I was just curious about Texas because I know your legislature is so gerrymandered and only meets once every 18 months. So I guess that's not an option for 2024. The thing that's interesting about our legislature is part of the reason that it we have not been successful at changing the structure of it is because of the Republican stronghold in the rural communities. Mm-hmm even though the rural communities are suffering in such horrible ways with being maternity deserts, with being hospital deserts, 
and people having to drive such long distances to get care, nevertheless, they are still Republican strongholds, not seemingly able to make that relationship between how you're voting is the reason that you're still suffering. But I have a colleague that literally has moved down there to start developing democratic uh, opposition. She left Dallas and moved to a rural community in West Texas to actually build a democratic community so that they can have some equity and see that if people come there and they can ask questions, they can actually get a politician that represents them. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And she's finding other folk there who have been waiting for somebody to come, like do something different. I do think it it will take that building of neighbors and neighborhoods and coalitions in the community. The thing that I don't think we get, and I mean, we as a synecdoche for folk who say they're pro-abortion, pro-choice, pro, you know, all of those things, we don't get that Dealing with issues in silo is the real reason why we got here. We can no longer afford to segregate and silo the parts of ourselves, especially when it comes to policy, because what's happening is they are seeing the connections and they're literally getting in where they can fit in and always bringing someone else along until they occupy all the space and can just make it whatever it is that they want it to be. We need to be just as uh, engaged in school board as we are in trying to figure out how to help folks have safe abortions. We need to be as engaged in what's happening in the queer community with our trans kids who are homeless. More than 50% in Texas specifically of homeless youth are trans or queer. And those are, will be the kids who need to have abortion access, yeah. who need to be able to transition safely into housing, who will need support in their schools so that they can keep going. It's all connected. We are just now getting around to saying, okay, yeah, I probably do need to meet with those religious people and see what they're doing and how we can figure out some way to work together. Yeah, I probably do need to be concerned about maternal mortality, even if I'm not parenting. But we've got to stop just having our little issue area. It's all connected. And until we're able to work in that fashion, we're going to keep landing here. So what does that look like? Like what can maybe help the listeners that are in both blue states like me and red states? Maybe it's a slightly different approach. So it, it is it is what our it is literally what our ancestors used to do. Even with people that they didn't fully agree with, they would talk to them until they found a place where they could agree. Yeah. Building the bridge. Yes. And from that place of agreement, they were able to build trust with each other in that area, understanding that, no, I'm not calling you if I need this or if I need that, but if I need this over here, you will be my number one person. And I know you'll, you'll support me in that. And you learn each other. And what ends up happening is your edges become softer because now it's not just abortion like McDonald's. It is, wow, that, that young girl was on birth control. I know her mama, you know, 
I'm, I've been in their house. I've slept with them. She's very responsible. Something really terrible must have happened to her or she must be working a plan. And yeah, I can see how having a kid would disrupt that. It's, and then suddenly you didn't move from being against abortion, but you could see why somebody would need it. Right. Yeah. So you're not going to get in the way of stopping them from having access to it. Yeah. What about, I feel like the maternal mortality issue, which is horrible and traumatic, but that feels like that would build bridges, right? Isn't everybody against this horror that's going on? You know, what's interesting that I'm seeing is people do have lines. People have not been able to successfully marry the relationship between maternal mortality and all these other issues. And so, yes, we do have this fantastic whirlwind behind trying to upend maternal mortality, but people won't look at and respond to the things that are causing it. Ending food deserts, ending hospital deserts, providing people with comprehensive medical care so that they can go to the doctor before they become pregnant. Right. Or having a counselor in a school so that when children are touched young, they can go talk to somebody and learn that that's not okay. So they don't end up in a situation where they are pregnant, don't know how they got pregnant and now in a state where they can't get an abortion. Right. And then the kid is not prepared to be a parent and hasn't had any health care. So now they're at risk for dying while they're pregnant. It has been a gateway to some things, but to the things like uh, uh, taking away all the work requirements when it comes to TANF or getting SNAP, it, it People aren't seeing the connections. People getting health insurance on these minimum wage jobs or how about raising the minimum wage? Yeah, let's go there. Yeah, absolutely. So so people aren't seeing that those, those are the factors that put people at risk right. for, for having a life that could be identified or called maternal morbidity and then ultimately being more at risk for experiencing maternal mortality. Yeah. You know, or how about we respond to the bigger issue, racism? Yeah, 100% agree. And and I say that because the external idea of racism, the body recognizes it as stress, which causes folk to have hypertension and causes folks to be at risk for developing diabetes, which are things that we say Black folk are predispositioned to. No, we're not. This world engages us in such a way that that becomes a part of our known reality. That's your reality, yeah. And then when you have the systemic racist issues that you're having to deal with every day so that you can keep your insurance, take care of your children, take care of yourself, pay your taxes and all those things. That's a second layer of stress. And pregnancy is just stressful Yeah, internally. So it is those compounding stressors. Well, and I think I've read, of course, that racism plays into the effect. Yes. Even when they do go to the doctor. Yes. They're, they're kind of, yeah, you know, discounting some of their complaints or symptoms that they're- Or or just not listening to them at all until they hear a voice that they can respect like their male partner or uh, a, a white person. Yeah. I'm sure it's even worse now in Texas- you know, given what we've already seen with that lawsuit where the women who are, who were having, you know, complicated pregnancies that were putting their lives at risk. I mean, we already know those five examples. So I'm sure it's even worse. I think a 
maybe one or more of them were were people of color but i'm sure it's even worse in the in the like what we're talking about in the black and brown community. Well, what what i found is interesting is i can find data on the decrease in abortion but there's sparse data and i'm gonna have to just keep looking that says since they decreased access to abortion to zero and are really proud of that what happened to all those people exactly what about the welfare babies or whatever you know they're going to complain about are they you know, just, they're looking the other way they're not going to take care of these people right right that's so what what where are they well there nobody cares i mean not nobody we care but the government doesn't care so there's no records there's no statistics there's no metrics because they're not tracking that they don't care i'm curious because the last time they did something similar to this we had a uh, over 100% increase in teen pregnancies and maternal mortality cases. 100%. Wow. That's according to the university, I think it was in Boston, it was a 213% increase, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah, with over a two year period. It was the thing that put maternal mortality on the map here. Yeah. That data was released because it was so harrowing. Yeah. I mean, you just don't expect that in the United States. I mean, we are supposed to be the best and have the best health care and take care of our people. It's just ridiculous. Well, that's what we say, but there's no evidence that we do that. The evidence suggests the contrary. Um, Texas is the 50th state when it comes to providing access to health care for women. 50th, really? Uh-huh. Wow. I guess I believe it. And when you think about us being unwilling to uh, expand Medicaid, mm -hmm. and it's not resource-driven. So the state would actually, in 2017... Well, I did, I did a state of black women in Texas report. And at that time, the state would have gained 10, at least $10 billion income if they had expanded Medicaid. So the, so Medicaid is a federal program. Why? Yes. We're literally that states with, uh, the affordable care act, president Obama wrote in a titrated plan for states so that every state could accept uh, the expansion of Medicaid and be able to get their um, policies in order. So when, when it came time for them to have to pay, they would be able to. Mm -hmm. But even at the time that they have to start paying some of it, it's still just 30%. It's, it never goes to 100% being paid for by the state. Right. The, the majority of it will always be taken care of by the federal government. Yeah. Some of the states did not accept the money. So when they first got it, it was 100%. It was 100%. The second year, it was 90%. The third year, it was 80%. So it was a gradual, but eventually in the legislation decided to opt out. They opted out in 2011. They opted out because they did not want a Black president giving the money. And so, so states that were led by uh, really staunch Republicans said they weren't going to accept it when it became law. You know, to stick with the Republican platform, he had to denounce it. And wow, I didn't realize that, I guess. Yeah, it was. So it wasn't it was never based on um, resources. And when uh, Biden reengaged the states uh, to to tell them if they would, even though they had missed whatever the window was to make the decision, so they would have to start at whatever the percentage is that they require the states to pay 
when Biden became president, he reintroduced it at 100% again. So no, the, the states got to decide. Oh, they were able to make that decision again. Yeah. Oh. And they still, some of them said yes, but Texas still said no. That's awful. I'm so sorry. One of the good things, uh, extending uh, medical care for people who are pregnant from two months to 12 months, that passed this legislative session finally. But if that, that person needs to also be able to get care for the other folk in her family, and she should have been able to get care before she became pregnant. So for many people, becoming pregnant moves from not just being about them being healthy for their baby, but trying to get them healthy as a person. So if you want to have a child, then that's a good move to go ahead and get pregnant because then you get better health care. Unfortunately, that's about the only thing you get because after 12, uh, nothing else is expanded. Um, You don't necessarily get more food stamps. You then have to, you, you, you're just kind of stuck out and now you got this extra debt. Yeah. It's still risky because babies are expensive. Yes. You got, you got love, but you can't, that doesn't feed anybody. So changing topics a little bit. I'm curious about the vigilante law that was part of SB8. I guess that's still in play. Uh, Uh, No. um, That go away. In the last two weeks, uh, SB8 has been ruled unconstitutional. Oh, gee, I guess I should have known that. (laughs) That's great. So then what is your abortion? Are you still at six weeks, ma'am? We, no, we are no abortion, period. We have no abortion. That was a, a trigger like a legacy thing that's still in play yes so okay well that's interesting so just a few weeks ago then the vigilante officially went away i'm curious because i remember last summer um and i guess by at that point it still had been in sb8 had been in play for nine months ish uh but you you said that you thought it was just a threat that nobody was really suing and I think I've only seen one instance, which was this dude trying to get whatever he was mad at his ex-girlfriend or whatever. That's and it. Helped him. And that's the only one that that hit the news. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Because, you know, so many other other states copycatted you guys. So that was the state Supreme Court. Why did it take them almost? No, the, the, I don't know. It wasn't the state Supreme Court. It was, I believe it, it was the Fifth Circuit. Appeal. Now it's going to the state Supreme Court. Okay. 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 Yeah, I knew that Oklahoma somehow had their legislation reversed on their vigilante thing, but maybe, yeah, it feels like that's unconstitutional, like mm-hmm. full stop. But so they, they did it because they knew it would be difficult for lawmakers and lobbyists and other advocates to immediately file a suit on it. Because the way it was written, they weren't telling folks to do things. They were just putting suggestions in law. And if you choose to do this, then this could be a benefit or uh, a reward for you. Right. But people had to initiate that. So it was difficult for people to come up with some way to, to create a suit. And someone had to be willing to take the chance and it become public. Yeah. And that guy who did sue, I guess he dropped it before it went to an actual case. I can't remember. It basically pooped out or it wasn't valid. Yeah. Well, that's, I guess that's good. It's, you know, such a small little bit of hope that people are not suing their neighbors and stuff because that was pretty crazy. But I do believe there's at least a, a concern for internet, you know, privacy laws on things like. That was the whole thing 
where we missed, we missed the ball as a community. We allowed our fear of not having access to, to abortion to get in the way of us seeing what they really wanted. The Dobbs decision made way for our privacy to be uh, up to other people. They, they, are, they are trying to get rid of privacy laws. We, and we missed that. Right. Because focusing on privacy would have given us access to a larger community to build advocacy around because nobody, I've not talked to a single soul when I talked to them about what that decision was really about. Suddenly, not, people not having abortion was a non-issue. They didn't care. Hmm. It was like, so they're going to be able to decide things for me and not even have to tell me. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. People don't know the things that became commonplace because of the road decision in the first place. Hmm. Like that was part of what they used to ensure that when you go to the hospital, your privacy is protected mm. and forms were created that you had to sign off on to, to say they could do these things to you. Whereas before they would tell you after the fact. Wow. Yeah. Hadn't really thought about that. That's crazy. And so with this decision being struck down, all the things that it was a precedent for, we're at risk of losing all of those too. Because since the law no longer exists, those things technically shouldn't exist either. It, here in Texas, there were over 40 bills that were LGBTQIA focused in some way. There's a, actually, I've, I've been loosely tracking some of the legislation just since January with my blog mainly for the reproductive rights legislation, because that is kind of my number one thing. But I've been shocked. It's been almost double the crazy amount of bans and restrictions that they were trying to push through in all these states. It's almost double the, the number of anti-trans, especially, but anti-LGBTQIA, everything, anti-everything, the, you know, the drag shows, the Obviously, the gender affirming health care. I just don't understand how these were the Republicans that were like, you know, no, no large government, stay out of my backyard, all that stuff. I don't get it at all. The Republican Party used to be the party where you could believe however you wanted. You could literally be your own person, that you were encouraged to be yourself. And they created a platform for the Republican Party, and people had to align to that platform or they would lose their party rights. And so, over time, the party has become more and more narrow and the things that they say that they should focus on and the people follow whatever the party says, because right. that's, that's the condition for admittance. Hmm. There's a episode in the family. It's a documentary on Netflix. I think it's the third one where there are a number of politicians that are talking about how they did this again in the nineties since it was successful at getting Reagan elected, they realized that the evangelicals were a base that was not tapped at all and very narrow in their um, belief and movement in the earth. And so they created a, a four-pronged platform that included abortion, small government, taking care of home first, and taxes. Mm. And from that point to now, they've stuck to that. Because at one point, the Baptist 
church, the Southern Baptist Church, as an example, they had codified in their uh, documents for engagement as a large body that that abortion was acceptable in some cases. That's good. I mean, Baptist, that surprises me. Well, I'm raising that because now they are absolutely, nobody can have an abortion. I don't care if you're rotten inside. And they changed because they were, I can't think of the word, but initiated into being uh, active participants in the Republican Party and accepted in the public square, but they had to stick to these four the platform yeah yes so now they've changed their bylaws their rules of engagement to say like i said no abortion for anybody ever so they've even changed against themselves and and it's it's all politics and what's really sad to me is that the people on the ground trying to live this out trying to follow jesus all the way are trying to live into these ideals even though it's making it difficult for them to feed their children or or have good learning uh, environment for their children, they're sticking to this because they believe it and the politicians don't. It's just a way to ensure that they stay in power. It's crazy. Yeah, it's power, religion, control. Yeah. Oh, makes me frustrated, but we're going to fight back. So let's spend a few minutes talking about the hope, the coalitions or the community engagement, you know, like what are, what are some things that we can do other than, you know, obviously vote and get your friends to vote, but like, is there something we can do now or leading up to the election? One of the things that came out of the SB8 and now the Dobbs decision was the creation of a way to assist folk who decide that they aren't prepared to parent, getting them to other places um, without breaking the law. Because if someone knows that they are not prepared to parent, we should not force them to parent because that's not good for them. But more importantly, we're causing a, a, a little person to suffer that didn't have a choice in the matter. That's where this idea of choice is the most impactful. I can I can choose to not harm a person by doing what I need to do to get rid of tissue. But once I allow that to become a person, and that's when you take your hands away and say, you got them, so do whatever you need to do to take care of them. You did your part to ensure that I was forced to be pregnant. Anyway, so before the Dobbs decision, um, I was a part of a caravan that would take people from Texas to uh, New Mexico to um, get abortion care and had to change that a little bit because of the Dobbs decision. But still, there are folk here who are actively working to assist people with meeting their needs in this Dobbs reality. And people can totally donate to that. Um, First Unitarian Church in Dallas, Texas is who I would suggest. Or you can donate to uh, RCRC New Mexico. Um, It is a nonprofit organization in New Mexico that supports folks once they get there and getting what they need and then getting back home safely. So those are two of the things that I'm a part of. The other thing that I'm a part of is building a congregation that espouses and lives out reproductive justice as their value. Um, I believe if we can model that, then we can share it with other congregations so that we can have more people, despite what your edicts and dogma says, truly living into what it means to be a servant, what it means to be community. 
that's important within the parochial kind of framework, especially. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it, it's, it's the, the agreement that we all made with, with the divine, however you see, whatever you call that person, that entity, that was the agreement. We agreed to serve. We didn't agree to rake in the dough. We didn't agree to judge people. We agreed to serve. And, and reproductive justice is a way that we can serve. And so that's, that's the third thing I'm doing. And I'm, I'm writing reports on what's happening so that we can codify this moment um, and give people some tools so that they can make better choices for the communities that they are engaged in. We can't fall for the trick that it's all about us and we ain't got nothing for nobody else because without others, we couldn't exist. Mm. Yeah. So, so we have the hysterical society. We're a society of people that need to help each other get through this moment, as you point yeah. out. Yeah, that's yes. Thank you so much for joining me today, Reverend Janine. This was amazing. You are amazing. You, you're always so wonderful with everything you say. So it's been really, really wonderful to have you. So thank you. And everybody else out there, stay hysterical. Keep up the fight. We are the universe. So beautiful. the world.